What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sometimes, no matter how much you look into something how much something is investigated, we find dead ends. We find no answers. We find a cold case. Welcome to your Patreon-only podcast, Cold Case. Hello, Patreons, and welcome to the final Cold Case episode of 2023. First and foremost, thank you for being our founder members of our Patreon society for The Deadly Countdown. Your support not only truly means the world to me, but it also ensures that you receive each episode ad-free and before everybody else. And therefore, you will receive the debut episode of Season 2 of The Deadly Countdown on Thursday the 4th of January unhindered by advertisements of any sort. And also, as a little sneak privilege for you Patreons, you get to know right now the topic that will be covered on that very first debut episode of Season 2. Hello, welcome back. These are pictures from uh, Miami where the fashion designer Gianni Versace has been shot dead outside his villa on the Ocean Drive. Uh, these are the scenes where police are now carrying out a huge operation uh, to try to find out uh, any clues that might still be around in the area. Uh, they're searching for a white man aged about 25 who's being sought in connection with the shooting, which happened uh, just around 9 o'clock in the morning local time in Miami when uh, Mr. Versace was returning from a nearby cafe where he had been having breakfast. That's right, our opening debut episode for season two will be a deep dive into the murder of Gianni Versace, the infamous fashion designer who was gunned down in broad daylight on his own doorstep of his luxurious mansion on the front of Miami Beach. The good news is, as a Patreon, you only have to wait four more days to hear that debut episode of Season 2. And I cannot wait for you to hear it. But we're not here to discuss Gianni Versace today. This is your Patreon-exclusive podcast, Cold Case. And as you know by now, we only take a look at those cases which still to this day remain unsolved. Today's case not only reeks of lies and secrecy and cover-ups, but also shows what happens to a country who is fresh from a world war. A country desperately trying to re-establish communities during austerity, 
a country who is desperate to realign everybody's values to those of the flag they sit under. In this case, that of the United States. And as this episode of Cold Case lands slap-bang in the middle of festive season, it should only be right that the case we look at takes place during that season also. I'm sure some of the true crime fans out there amongst you already have guessed where we're heading, but as we are in the midst of the festive season, I thought we'd take a look at one of the most perplexing and enduring unsolved mysteries of the last century, that of the Sodder children. It's a case that took place during one of the most visceral eras of modern history. Mass migration to the United States was taking place due to the soon-to-be-ending Second World War. But, although people may move from country to country, we often find their affiliations will come along with them, for better and for worse. The promise of the American dream for some, became a real-life nightmare. It was Christmas Eve 1945, at approximately one o'clock in the morning, when a fire broke out in the house of the Sodder family in Fayetteville, West Virginia. Parents George and Jenny Sodder were sleeping with their nine children. George and Jenny and four of their children managed to escape the inferno, However, Morris, who was 14, Martha, who was 12, Louie, who was 9, Jenny, who was 8, and Betty, who was 5, were all unaccounted for. The children apparently still trapped in the house. Two of the bedrooms were located on the upper floor, and all five of these children shared those bedrooms. A desperate George burst inside the burning house to try and save those remaining children. But the stairway was on fire. When he went outside so he could get a ladder, it was nowhere to be found. In addition, both of his coal trucks, which he intended on driving close to the flames and standing on, refused to start. Marion, one of the children who had escaped the fire, ran to a neighbour's house and told them to call the fire service, and they did, but no one answered. So a different neighbour called, and once again, the operator did not pick up the phone. Perplexed, that same neighbour drove into town and finally located the fire chief, one F.J. Morris, and informed him of the fire. Now, despite the fact that the fire station was a mere two and a half miles away, firemen didn't arrive at the scene until 8am, a full seven hours after the fire started. And when they arrived, the house was nothing but ashes. Authorities began to dig through the ash in search of the bodies of the five missing youngsters, but nothing was discovered, and so they assumed all of the children were thought to have been killed as a result of the fire. F.J. Morris speculated that the fire was so intense that the children's corpses, including their bones, were all incinerated. 
Now, while at face value, that notion could seem fair, even in extreme temperatures, bones are very often left behind, when only the flesh is burnt away. Regardless, the cause of the fire was deemed to be bad wiring, and the five missing children were very quickly issued death certificates. An allegedly more thorough investigation again quickly concluded that the fire was due to faulty wiring. However, this conclusion was reached with what many people considered insufficient examination of the evidence. And critics of that investigation were quick to point out that a more thorough forensic analysis of the fire scene may have provided clearer answers. However, a forensic look would simply not be possible given how the fire chief and his crew went into the scene. George Sodder, the family patriarch, had recently had the house's electrical system inspected and approved by the local power company. This was a significant point, because it suggested that the wiring was in good condition, and therefore unlikely to be the source of an accidental fire. The Sodders had even installed Christmas lights, which was seen functioning on the night of the fire, further suggesting that the electrical system was fully operational and not faulty. The quick attribution of the fire to an electrical fault, despite recent inspections and the functioning Christmas lights, led to some people coming up with alternative theories. Some speculated that the fire could have been deliberately set as an act of arson, This theory was supported by various odd occurrences and threats that the family had experienced prior to the fire, as well as George Sodder's outspoken political views, which appeared to have made him some enemies within the community. Months before the fire took place, a stranger visited the Sodder home, ostensibly looking for work. But during this visit he wandered to the back of the house and quietly warned George that a pair of fuse boxes could cause a fire someday. A very peculiar statement to make, especially as George had just had the house's wiring checked and approved by the local power company. Now, around the same time, another man was seen lurking around the Sodder property. But, concerningly... He was observed watching the younger Sodder children as they returned from school. This sighting was particularly unsettling for the family, given that it didn't seem to have any reason or innocent explanation. On the night of the fire, Jenny Sodder received a strange phone call. An unidentified woman asked for a name that Jenny did not recognise, followed by laughter and the sound of glasses clinking in the background. Jenny, disturbed by the call, eventually went back to bed. Later, she was awakened by the sound of the fire. Jenny also reported hearing a loud bang on the roof and a rolling noise shortly before discovering the fire. This detail led to speculation that something Possibly an incendiary device had been thrown onto the roof to start the fire. Arguably the most unsettling visitation took place earlier that year, 
when an insurance salesman visited the Sodders and became irate when George declined his sales pitch. The salesman allegedly warned George that his house would go up in smoke and that your children are going to be destroyed. George believed he was threatened like this because of his outspoken criticism of Benito Mussolini, the Italian fascist dictator. In the context of the fire, this threat obviously took on a new and ominous significance. George Sodder, an Italian immigrant himself, was very vocal in his criticism of Mussolini, which was not a universally popular stance within certain segments of the Italian immigrant community. Some Italian immigrants supported Mussolini, or at the very least preferred to avoid political controversy, especially during the years before the US entered World War II and when Mussolini allied himself with Adolf Hitler. In Fayetteville, West Virginia, where the Sodders lived, there was a significant population of Italian immigrants. And within this community, there would have been a range of opinions about Mussolini and the situation in Italy. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Sodder's outspokenness could have created tensions or even made him enemies amongst those who were sympathetic to Mussolini. George Sodder's willingness to speak out suggests a strong personal conviction and a commitment to political principles, especially considering the potential for social ostracism or backlash, specifically within his own community. Was this the reason for what took place on that Christmas Eve in 1945? George Sodder would later claim that even a member of the coroner's jury, which deemed the fire accidental, had told him that the fire was God's punishment for his anti-Mussolini remarks. Soon after the fire, George and Jenny began to have concerns that their children were not dead but were rather abducted, and that the fire itself had been set as a distraction. They came to believe that the fire had been set on purpose, especially given that the electrical company conducted the inspection of the wiring earlier that autumn, and the results showed without doubt that the cable was in a safe and functioning condition. Even more perplexing was when a lady came forward who was there at the time of the fire and claimed that she'd seen all five of the children who were, at that point, allegedly perishing within the burning house, staring out of the window of a passing car. Despite the rather expedited issuing of their death certificates, George and Jenny insisted the children were in fact missing, nay, abducted and the images of the children were published in the local newspaper. After this, a woman who was staying in a hotel in Charleston reported that she'd seen four of the five children one week after the fire. She is quoted as saying, 
the children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of the Italian extraction, she said in the statement. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and simply wouldn't allow it. Dissatisfied with the official response, the Sodder family launched their own efforts to find answers. They hired private detectives and even consulted a pathologist, Oscar B. Hunter, who conducted an excavation of the fire site in 1949. The excavation uncovered several small bone fragments and a damaged coin, but these were all determined not to have been exposed to the fire and were not from the missing children. The Sodders took the unusual step of erecting a billboard along a nearby highway in Fayetteville, featuring the photographs of the five missing children and offering a reward for information leading to their discovery. This billboard, although questionable at first, became a well-known local landmark and also did the job of keeping the case in the public conscience for years to come. The Sodder family received various reports and tips over the years about the possible whereabouts of the children. These included sightings in different parts of the US, even in Italy. And each of these leads were pursued by the family, often involving long trips and the engagement of more private detectives, but none resulted in any concrete evidence or resolution. In 1968, more than two full decades after the fire, the Sodder family received an envelope postmarked in Central City, Kentucky, with no return address. Inside the envelope was just a photograph of a young man in his 20s. Now, this young man in the photograph bore a striking resemblance to Louis Sodder, one of the five children who disappeared in that fire. The family was struck by specific features that matched Louis, including his dark curly hair and dark eyes. But it was the back of the photograph where there was an enigma, because there was a handwritten note that read, Louis Sodder. I love Brother Frankie. Lil Boys, A90132 or 90135. The meaning of this message was unclear and has been the subject of much speculation since. The reference to Brother Frankie was particularly puzzling, as the Sodders did have a son named Frank, but he was not one of the children who disappeared. The Sodders were both hopeful and sceptical about the photograph. They couldn't be sure whether the photo was genuinely of Louis or some elaborate hoax. Despite their uncertainty, they found the resemblance compelling enough to add the photograph to the billboard they'd had erected and to distribute copies in an attempt to gather more information. The Sodders and their investigators attempted to trace the origin of the photograph, but were unable to uncover any leads. The lack of a return address 
and the postmark from Central City, Kentucky, provided no concrete path for investigation. That said, the arrival of the photograph did rekindle the family's hope that their children might still be alive. It served as a poignant reminder of the unresolved nature of their disappearance and further fueled speculation about what might have happened to them. The photograph itself led to various theories, including the possibility the children had been abducted and raised elsewhere. Perhaps even unaware of their real identities. However, without more definitive evidence, these theories are just that. The case itself has been the subject of various media reports, books and TV programs over the years. This continued attention has kept the mystery alive in the public consciousness and has occasionally led to new tips or theories though, again, none have conclusively solved the case. The mystery of the Sodder children's disappearance has had a long-lasting impact on the community in Fayetteville, West Virginia, and beyond. The story has become part of local folklore, and the enduring mystery continues to fascinate and perplex anyone who hears about it. It's no wonder, then, it's often cited as an example of the unsolved mystery when you look at cold cases. The Sodder family, particularly George and Jenny, dedicated their lives to finding out what happened to their children. Their efforts included not only the billboard and hiring private investigators, but also reaching out to the FBI and other authorities for help. Their unwavering commitment to their case was a testament to their love for their children and their refusal to accept the official explanation without questioning. The Sodder family billboard on State Route 16 remained there from the 1950s until Jenny Sodder's passing in the late 1980s. Sylvia the last known child of the Sodder family to have survived the fire, continues to be adamant that her siblings did not perish in the blaze. But they still have never been located to this day. The Sodder children's case remains one of the most haunting and enigmatic mysteries in American history. The lack of closure and definitive answers have left room for speculation and has made the story a poignant reminder of the enduring impact of unresolved tragedies. But when we take a step back and take a look at each individual piece of the puzzle, from the delay of the fire brigade to the apparently sabotage trucks, the missing ladder, the threats in the months leading up to the fire, the very sporadic investigations, the speed in which the children were officially declared dead, and, most starkly, the lack of any of the five children's remains. Well, it does seem to point to a family who had apparently managed to make fatal enemies of a large swathe of their local community. Let's just take two 
of the multitude of wrongdoings and lay them out and see what they tell us. First, no one, no one picks up at the fire station. Were they expecting the call? Were their staff told under no circumstances pick up that phone? Even when the fire chief is physically hunted down, it takes seven hours for any action. Next, a coroner. The person writing out the very death certificates for remains still not accounted for makes a remark to state this is God's way of punishing the family for their views. Those two points alone scream nefarious collusion of the highest degree. And that is before we add the other 90% of evidence into the mix. One thing is for certain. The pain and anguish the Sodder family went through is something you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. One thing that is not and arguably never will be for certain, is the fate of the Sodder children. I'd like to thank each and every one of you for choosing to spend your time with me right here on your show, Cold Case. I'll speak to you next on Thursday for your early ad-free release of the debut episode of Season 2 of The Deadly Countdown, where, of course, as stated we take a look at the murder of Gianni Versace. And of course, your Patreon-only podcast, Cold Case, will return two weeks from this very date. So, until the beginning of Season 2, stay safe and take care. <laughs>